In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful, my Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. This Sunday's first reading is from the Book of Wisdom, the Wisdom of Solomon. And like many passages in the wisdom literature, it's simply a praise, a kind of paean to wisdom itself. Wisdom is radiant and unfading, and she is easily discerned by those who love her and is found by those who seek her. She hastens to make herself known to those who desire her. He who rises early to seek her will have no difficulty, for he will find her sitting at his gates. To fix one's thoughts on her is perfect understanding, and he who is vigilant on her account will soon be free from care. Because she goes about seeking those worthy of her, and she graciously appears to them in their paths and meets them in every thought. Jesus, we know in our prayer that you are wisdom incarnate. We know, Jesus, that you are that logos, that word of God, that perfect expression of God the Father, the word through whom all things were made. As you yourself put it, I am the way and the truth and the life. And this helps us understand what the book of wisdom is getting across here in this passage, that wisdom is not hard to find. It's easy to come by. It's at hand. If we look for her, we'll find her. If we want her, will acquire her. The trick is in the looking and in the wanting. Do we want the truth? Do we seek the truth? Or, Lord Jesus, as you put it, are we afraid of the light? Do we stay in the shadows because we don't want our works to be seen, because we don't want to convert? A meeting with the truth is to be convicted of the truth of sin and the truth of of virtue, the truth of our conscience. To meet our Lord, to have wisdom, is to have to change. And sometimes, Lord, I have to admit, I'm not willing to change, or at least I don't want to change yet. We're all a little bit like St. Augustine at that point in his life in which he described his attitude as being, Lord, give me chastity, but not yet. He knew that chastity was good. He knew that the law of God was good to follow. But he wanted to put off the conversion. He wasn't ready to make that change. But Lord, thank you. Thank you for making wisdom so near at hand, in your person, in your teachings. And in the gospel, Jesus gives us that parable Uh, this contrast between the wise virgins 
and the foolish virgins. In the parable of the ten virgins, the kingdom of heaven shall be compared to ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. So many times in scripture, heaven, the kingdom of heaven, are meeting with God, both on this earth and especially in the next life, is compared to a wedding feast, to a banquet, to a cause and an occasion of great joy, festivity, joy, happiness, pleasure, relaxation, the best party we've ever been to. And Jesus is the cause. He is the bridegroom. It's his party. He is the king's son whose wedding feast we're all invited to. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And all those maidens rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, Perhaps there will not be enough for us and for you. Go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy... The bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with them to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other maidens came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. What distinguishes the foolish from the wise? What distinguishes the foolish from the supernaturally prudent? Well, in our Lord's example, it's very simple, but it's foresight. And it's thinking about what we want. What do I really want? And am I prepared to achieve it? As St. Thomas Aquinas would say, prudence has to do with knowing how to reason from means to ends, knowing how to achieve our goals. And so good prudence, distinguished just from uh, human cleverness or shrewdness, entails that we have the right goals, and that too is part of wisdom. Not just how do I get what I want, not just what are the necessary steps to achieve my goals, but what should my goals be? What am I after? What am I trying to achieve? And is it, is it the right thing? And here the, the uh, foolish and wise virgins, at least ostensibly, have the same goal. They want to meet the bridegroom when he comes. And in order to meet him, they need lamps. And in order for the lamps to work, they need a sufficient oil. And so they have the same ends, but only the wise ones are 
shrewd enough, are prudent enough to think through the steps. Well, maybe he'll be delayed. How much oil do I have? There's not enough in the lamp. I need to bring another flask to have some backup oil so that when he comes, I'll have enough oil to actually have a, a lamp that's lit. And so this is how this is how wisdom works. To have the right ends, the right goals in mind, and then to be practical enough to think about what means, what steps I have to take to achieve that end. Lord Jesus, help us with this, because at times, at times we're a lot like the foolish virgins. We kind of say, yeah, I'd like to grow in my prayer life. Yeah, I would like to be more forgiving. Yeah, I would like to be uh, more virtuous. But we don't think through what that takes. We don't actually plan out a plan of action. What does it look like to grow in prayer? How much more time do I need to devote to it? How does one actually grow in patience? Where do I start? What do I need to start accepting in order to grow in patience? What annoyance do I just simply have to embrace or not worry about, not complain about as a first step in growing in patience? I'd like to be more forgiving, but who do I need to forgive? And what does that look like? Can I start by just praying for him? Can I foster some compassion or sympathy towards that person who's offended me, trying to think of an excuse for their behavior? Because if we don't take practical steps towards those goals that we all know are good in the spiritual life, to pray more, to grow in charity, to grow in some of the virtue, to change some attitude that, that we know is is not optimal, perhaps offends our Lord or holds us back. Well, unless we try to figure out, well, how does that work? You know, what do I need to do? How do I need to pray for it? What practices can I do to foster this ideal or make this ideal more concrete and real in my life? Well, then we're never going to get anywhere. We're never going to get anywhere. We'll just be um, full of good intentions, but with very little real progress. And this is something that um, no one could do for us. It's kind of interesting. In the parable, the wise virgins refuse to give the oil that they have to the others. And the reason they give is because, well, there might not be enough for both of us. But I think in the in the spiritual life or the spiritual meaning of this passage, it's simply that we can't give to others their freedom. We can't give to others their goodness. God can do it and we can pray for it and give them a good example. But in the end, each one of us has to be good ourselves, has to respond ourselves to God's grace. In commenting on this passage, St. Augustine says that the difference between the wise and the foolish virgins lies in the nature of their oil. He says that the oil in the wise virgins' lamps is charity, 
love of God, and love of others. And the oil in the foolish virgin's lamps is praise of men, or the praise of the world, our reputation in others, the love that others have for us. And it's interesting because um, in the passage, both the virgins, uh, the wise virgins and the foolish virgins lamps are lit. They're both actually on when the bridegroom bridegroom is arriving. But the foolish virgins lamps are going out, right? They're, They're slowly extinguishing. And so they realize that they don't have enough to last. Which is a great interpretation because it basically means that when God comes to judge us, well, the thing that will last into heaven, the thing that will be sufficient to keep our souls alight through judgment and into the, into the afterlife, into eternal life, is charity, is the love of God and the love of others for the sake of God. So for living for charity in this life, we'll have enough oil, so to speak, to, to keep our souls alight for the banquet with the bridegroom, to meet the bridegroom when he comes. But on the contrary, if we're, if we're living for human motives, for the praise of others, for earthly glory, well, then that's the kind of oil that doesn't last, that will go out. And this makes sense, as we were saying before. It's like, well, why can't they just share their oil? Well, because you can't give someone else love. You can't love for someone else. I can love you. I can pray for your increase in charity. I can pray for your conversion. I can give you an example of charity. I can teach you about love. But I can't step into your heart and love for you. Right? You can love me, you can pray for my conversion, you can teach me the difference between right and wrong, you can encourage me to be loving of others, but you can't step into my heart and love others for me. And so the oil is not shareable because the oil is our motivation and it has to do with, with our freedom. So Jesus, help us to be wise. Help us to be wise like these prudent and wise virgins in your parable. Wanting the right thing. Wanting eternal life. Wanting to be ready to meet you. And therefore, having the right means. And the means to go to heaven, the means to enter the kingdom of God, is charity. Is love of God and love of others. And so let's be really prudent and wise about that. Do I want to go to heaven? And all of us will say, of course, right? Who doesn't want to go to heaven? Who would risk going to hell, right? Knowingly. Of course, I want to go to heaven. I want to love God. I want to be a saint. Well, then let's take that seriously and not neglect the next step. How do I get to heaven? We get to heaven by being holy. How are we holy? We're holy by charity. This is the one thing necessary. This is the great commandment. We know this, to love God 
all of our soul, with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. And the second is like it, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Charity is the very heart of holiness and it's the mother of all the other virtues. The only reason to have other virtues is because they help us to love, to love God and to love others. And therefore, to be like God who is love, to be ready for heaven, to be at home in heaven. And so this is what we want. This is our goal. Heaven, to get to heaven, we need holiness, we need charity. And to be charitable, well, what do we have to do? Well, then we get we get more practical. Well, perhaps I don't pray enough. I need to love God more with my prayer. What do I need to pray more? Well, perhaps I don't believe enough that God is real, that prayer is important. Or perhaps it's a lack of knowledge. I don't know what the different forms of prayer are. I don't know how to pray well in the Mass, or I don't know the Rosary, or I've never learned really how to do mental prayer. Maybe it's a lack of just know-how about uh, how to pray. Or maybe I'm pious and I like to pray and I like silence, but I'm a little bit too shy around people and I don't share the truth with them. And there's a lack of charity in my life because I'm not apostolic enough. I'm not brave enough to witness to the faith or share the faith with others. Well, then that's where perhaps I would have to start is to say, okay, how can I be more daring in my apostolic witness? How can I be a better friend to get to a point where there's a deeper conversation I can share with them a Christian perspective on the way I live my life or bring a Christian perspective to bear on the problems in their life. Perhaps, Lord, it's some human virtue that, okay, I know I want to be holy and holiness is charity and part of charity for me and for all of us is work, is being a good employee or being a good student, using my talents well in the service of society and the church and others. And right now what's holding me back is laziness. I don't know how to work well. I'm too attached to comfort. I'm distracted. And so at night I stay up late watching TV or scrolling through a bunch of different stuff. And then that makes me wake up late and tired. It's hard to concentrate at work in the morning. And then I eat too much at lunch and I have brain fog from all the sugar I'm eating. And uh, and so my my day is not productive and my work is not focused. And so perhaps for me, the, the concrete goal of growing in charity is just getting my life together a little bit more, eating things that don't make me tired, getting to bed a little bit earlier, right? not dissipating my time in the evening in such a way that I tend to stay up too late and don't get enough sleep, so I'm not sharp and focused and I'm in a bad mood. I'm cranky because I'm not sleeping and I'm not exercising and I'm not eating well. Okay, obviously this is not a wellness podcast, all right? Uh, But we are human and human virtue is the basis for supernatural virtues, as San Jose Maria would say. The foundation for our faith and hope and charity are the human virtues, right? They go together. Our human life and our divine life in Christ are closely intertwined, closely 
interdependent. And so if I want to be charitable, well, it helps to be in a good mood. And if I want to be in a good mood, well, it helps to be well-rested. And if I want to be well-rested in a good mood, well, it helps to get some exercise. And if I want to be someone who gets exercise, well, it helps also to eat well, right? And not intemperately or, or um, imprudently with, with the diet of, of junk food, right? God gave us our bodies. God gave us our health. God gave us the need to sleep. And so sometimes it's like, oh yeah, I want to be a saint, right? I want to be holy and love everyone and give myself. But we neglect the fundamentals, right? We, were, we neglect the basic discipline it takes to have energy and to have enough time for everything and to be rested, right? We think, oh, I can just, yeah, I don't know, live like Homer Simpson and be a saint at the same time. Well, it doesn't work. It's like, it's like the foolish virgins. Yeah, we'll, we'll be ready, but we won't have any oil. Doesn't work. <laughs> so Lord, help us to be wise, which means practical. It's seeing the consequences. It's seeing what something presupposes. If this is what I want, this is what I have to do to get there. If this is my goal to grow in, these are the practical steps I need to take to get there. Anyone who has a serious goal and is serious about achieving it, is disciplined, right? Figures out the steps. I see this in schools. It's only, it's, it's, it's too much sometimes, but um, high schoolers who are high achieving and and um, ambitious are, are very well trained in what they need to do to get into that college and have a shot of getting into that selective college. Right. If I want to get into an Ivy League school, well, my SATs have to be this high and my GPA has to be this high. And I need to be the president of this many clubs. And I need to have the diverse uh, extracurriculars with this kind of portfolio. Or since this is my talent, I really need to stand out in this particular area to make an impression. And there are people that you can hire, consultants, who will tell you, okay, yeah, um, if you want to get into this school, this is what you have to achieve. Your freshman year, you need to hit these markers. Your sophomore year, you need to do these things. Your junior year, you need to be here and there. And your senior year, you need to wrap it up like this. And then you'll have a shot. You'll have a shot of being among those few people out of thousands who are actually accepted into that prestigious school. Now, I'm not saying whether that's right or wrong. Sometimes it's exaggerated. Sometimes people put way too much concern into that and not into other things. I remember a priest saying once, you know, don't be an A student, but a failure in life. (laughs) Don't be an A plus student in school, but a failure in life, which is possible. We can be high achieving and very, very self-centered and selfish people. But the analogy is is pretty good. Right? If we want to achieve something important and something daring and something ambitious, well, we get serious about the steps. 
we get serious about the presuppositions, the prerequisites to achieve um, that goal. And this is wisdom, right? This is wisdom. And our Lord is always, always telling people to do this. Right? Think about what you want and think about what it takes to get there. Think about what you want and think about what it takes to get there. Think about your death. Right? Think about judgment. When you die, our Lord's constantly preaching like this, right? When you die, what will be important? It's like that parable that our Lord tells. The land of a rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, fool, right? Not wise, foolish, stupid. This night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Hey, don't be an A student, but a failure in the game of life. What am I after, Lord? What are my goals? And am I really practical enough to achieve them? Am I taking my goals seriously enough to work out the next steps? Which is the true wisdom, the true prudence that you want us to have. Give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise ones replied, no, for there may not be enough for us and you. Go instead to the merchants and buy some for yourselves. While they went off to buy it, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went into the wedding feast with him. Then the door was locked. Afterwards, the other virgins came and said, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he said in reply, Amen, I say to you, I do not know you. Therefore, stay awake, for you know neither the day nor the hour. I've often thought this and preached about it, but those are some of the scariest words ever recorded. I do not know you, that Jesus who died for us, Jesus who created us as God, could come to a point where he doesn't recognize us, right? I do not know you. And so if the oil is charity, if what lets us into the kingdom of God and lights up our heart for God such that we enter into heaven forever, well, charity is also what makes us recognizable to God. Charity is what makes us truly ourselves. And the lack of charity makes us Invisible to God, or at least unrecognizable by God. I do not know you. And this is super important in our day and age. Because we live in a world which is in a crisis of identity. And we don't accept our gender as kind of a definitive feature of our identity. A gender given to us by God and nature. We don't accept our families as kind of essential parts of our identity. We don't accept nations or 
cities or ethnicities as valid parts of our identity. Religion is seen as, like anything else, just a matter of personal preference or choice. There's very little that is essential to our identity, and, and therefore we go searching. We, we invent ourselves. We are in an age of self-invention, of identity creation. And no wonder, right? It's so easy for us to buy things and change fashions and, and change hobbies. Right? We're looking for someone to be. Who should I be? Who do I belong to? And there's very little we accept as kind of definitive there or regulatory, normative there. And this is to have it all wrong. We're from God. We're made in the image likeness of God. We're redeemed by the blood of Christ. To be who we are meant to be is to accept that we're from God and then to try to act in the way that God has created us to act and has taught us to act. Do you want to truly be yourself? Be like Christ. Do you want to truly be a singular personality? Learn how to love. Because if we don't, we'll be nobody. We'll be no one and nothing. And God will say, I do not know you. Do we want to be recognized by God? Do we want to be identifiable by God and therefore have the identity that we're supposed to have? Well, then we have to love. There's no other way, right? Without charity, without the lamp lit by charity, God can't recognize us. And this is true wisdom. Who do I want to be? Where do I want to end up? And what do I have to do to get there? Our Lady will light the way for us. She is the mother of fair love. Our Lady, our mother, help us like you to be truly wise. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.